So as we probably <clears throat> come to retreat, and naturally there are certain uh, <clears throat> intentions, uh, calm down, get some introspection going, look more clearly into what's happening in your lives, how you're, what's, work, what's winding you up, what's interesting you, what's causing you problems, basically, some introspection in terms of suffering and the cessation of that. Yeah, and the particular details of that you've probably become clearer to each and each of each of us as we practice particular things we need to look at, and so it's a kind of individual thing, but also there are there are general um, um, themes that I can present and hopefully present these these general themes of means of practice of ways of focusing attention, which is the skill of meditation learning to focus, learning how to use focus in an appropriate way, zoom in, zoom out, uh, not get locked, keep your focus flexible, focus on what's useful, what's the point. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, uh, hopefully also as, as the retreat c- progresses or continues, <laughs> uh, uh, so more chance for questions and answers so that we can keep you know affecting the course of the retreat through through the dialogue of what what's really important for you what's coming up for you yeah so that every day I hope to have some sense of you you presenting um, uh, themes of your own interest or concern or questions however you want to put it so that we can actually rather interestingly uh, jointly inquire and uh, and let the retreat find its own form in terms of what we each of us need or our collective needs mm. so I have a kind of generic set of teachings on meditation on focusing on calming on clarifying and then hopefully some more something more specific comes out of out of the mix of our being together <clears throat> so I hope to have something like this happening every day <clears throat> But the first thing, of course, is we uh, you know, establish a sense of focus. Meditation, in a way, you know, can be said to be something that that challenges the sense of purpose. You know, we have kind of purposes in our li- aims in our lives. We want to have something, get somewhere, know something, find something, uh, and uh, you know, this has a relative truth to it, but. Finally, you said what's more useful in terms of meditation is not to think so much in terms of purpose, but to think in terms of focus. That is, you know, how to sustain focus, just to get clear and let things, in a way, sort themselves out. So there's a kind of balance between that in us which seeks uh, answers, meanings, results, and that, that in us which wishes for calm and quiet. You can't do both at the same time. You can't be inquiring and quiet at the same time. What you can do is get the correct focus that, in a way, allows your mind to remain quiet, observant, at peace, while a process of unfolding continues by itself. This is what we find this lovely mixture of calm and insight is when these two factors come together. That is, you have a sense of calm and confidence and well-being in yourself, and the, the awareness that comes out of that process starts to unravel 
and unfold particular places where one is uh, uh, blinded or confused or locked. Because the recognition is that all our problems and our confusions are not endemic, they're not innate, but they are things that we are actually unconsciously doing. We're, We're unconsciously winding ourselves up, unconsciously holding on. And when we become conscious, then quite naturally that holding on starts to loosen and slip away. So the art of correct focus. And the theme, the general theme, the general practice that I'll encourage in, in this week uh, will be one of, uh, I call it the, a kind of little map of the three minds or three aspects of mind. We have, uh, so this, the most obvious aspect of mind or chitta that we all recognize is our ability to think, not just to think, but to conceive, to have clarity. And as we know this object definition, we can use our minds to say this is this and that's that and they're different. And uh, we use this a lot. It's a kind of rational mind, a mind that places things clearly for us, um, defines, adds up, subtracts, um, you know, concludes, draws pictures, forms summaries, plans the future. And we use that and sometimes we use that to the point of exhaustion where we've figured out the whole world and ourselves and we're just kind of nervous wreck because of it. <laughs> and this, is the, this is the mind that's most commonly used and overused in our, in our daily lives to get things done. It's a mind that's about coming to conclusions and getting things sorted and, and achieving something. Now we don't, uh, in our meditation you tend to, to uh, kind of unhook that or quieten that down because it is so overused but uh, it's by no means a, a function of mind that we completely ignore it's not, not going to kind of ecstatic trances or, or um, kind of numb states but it's kept but it's, 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 it's kind of clarified and simplified to just the ability to, to know and point and direct the mind direct our attention you know, in certain themes so this is what we might call is the head knowledge, you might say, or the head aspect of mind, to simplify it. Um, the other aspect, other aspect is that we might call it mind as heart, as our ability to be affected, to feel, to, to respond. Yeah. So uh, we are affected by things, we feel things, things mean something to us, things stir us up. Things uh, frighten us. Uh, things, gladness, experience. So this is definitely another big aspect of mind that's happening for us all the time. And uh, this, again, is something that can be almost so over overenacted that we're emotionally very fraught and, and, and stressed out on an emotional level because there's so much going on, so much reverberation that uh, it, we're becoming kind of stressed because of that. But still this emotive aspect, effective aspect of mind is crucial for meditation, for the practices of kindness, compassion, uh, equanimity, spaciousness, generosity. Um, you know, our very sense of aspiration comes from this. You know, thatness which rises up is, is the mind as heart. It's, uh, it's that which has faith is, a mind, is mind as heart. That which has patience is the mind as heart. It's, uh, it's not defining anything. It's, it's feeling things and sustaining 
uh, a feeling, sensitive, receptive presence. So this heart-mind tells us how we're feeling, how we are with something. So the head aspect of mind tells us what we're going to do, how we know, how we, what we're going to do, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and so on, and all the permutations of that. The heart aspect of mind tells us how we are with something, how we feel with something. It's a relational experience. And these two are uh, these two centers of mind are things we're probably very aware of. Third aspect of mind, which is the one that um, uh, is very fundamental to meditation and is often missing in people's lives, is the mind as body. And, you know, so classically, we tend to imagine mind is one thing, body is another thing. You know, mind is immaterial, body is meat, body is material. So what I mean by body is the embodied sense, which you might say is our nervous system, uh, our, uh, our, our, uh, which is the basic form of our of our sense of where we are. Yeah. So it's our sense of presence. Um, so this is, this is the body as the embodied mind. Very often this is, this is the sense that uh, tells us where we are. It's a basic sense of feeling safe, feeling grounded, uh, feeling balanced, feeling rested, feeling confident, and um, having a sense of presence. And this is something that's, that's uh, uh, very fundamental because without this, everything else is insecure. This, you might say, is the foundation of the mind. It tells us where we are, colloquially speaking. You know, it gives us a sense of ground. Here I am, I'm grounded. Without that, our emotional sense is inherently insecure. We're trying to find a sense of groundedness, a sense of where I am, a sense of being safe, and we don't know where to look. So we look for safety in, or security maybe in relationships, yeah. in, uh, in how we feel. But relationships and how we feel are continually changing, shifting. If we don't allow them to change and shift, we lock on, we get obsessive, we get demanding, we, 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 we grasp, which is pretty, pretty normal. And in fact, we have no control over that. You know, it must happen. It's not a decision. You don't decide to grasp. It just happens. <laughs> because if you're on a, if you're on a rocky uh, foundation, your system will automatically start holding on and seizing up. It's supposed to do that. Yeah? So this isn't a kind of blame thing or a moral judgment. It's just the fact that if you don't, if you're not in touch with the ground of presence, then naturally one will grasp at something to try to make you feel solid, secure, safe, you know. And we'll tend to grasp onto things that can't do that. You know, well, our, our emotions, our feelings, our, our, uh, our sense of how we are, which is, tends to shift and is supposed to shift. It's a landscape that we travel through, you know. Or we'll shift on, or we're trying to find security in, in, in what we're doing so that, uh, that we're on top of our game, things are working for us, we're ticking the right boxes, everything's adding up, we're getting progress, we're getting good results. You know, we're on a, we're, so people obviously do this a lot. 
try to find a sense of security and steadiness in their ability to function, perform, know, know it all, uh, and get, perform well. So this makes people very obsessive and driven. Because the, nature, the fact of the matter is that we don't know it all, we can't know it all, you can't stay on top of your game all the time. The, 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 the ability to, to function and do itself is a changing landscape. So most every day, I imagine when we wake up, we go quite rapidly, perhaps too rapidly, through a whole process of coming out of incoherence into suddenly, you know, get up to speed and get going. And, there's, there's a, and we probably go through an emotional landscapes of uncertainty, anxiety, uh, and then trying to pull yourself up to cheerfulness and clarity and, and, and stay there. And actually, and the truth of the matter is that we just, there's an emotional landscape. There's not a particular emotional location that you can stay in. <laughs> you know, like just get to the happy, confident, bright, cheery point and stay there all the time. This does not happen, does it? <laughs> is it? And is there something wrong with that? You know. Well, if we're if we're trying to if we're trying to sustain the sense of, of selfhood and permanence and stability on an emotional place, then we always feel we're getting it wrong. Because it isn't. I mean, every morning I think I wake up with a feeling of, oh dear, here we are again. <laughs> But I don't stay there, but I can open up to that and then, you know, go through the processes of, of uh, you know, what the emotional landscape contains. And there's certain karma, certain inheritance in that. And obviously there are some days are better than others and some days it's nasty and some days it's sad and some days it's cheerful and warm and friendly. And the ability to travel through that landscape is something that one can develop assurance and confidence with not not the particular territory itself but the ability to move through it yeah yeah not to not have any territory <laughs> to be kind of emotionally bland but the ability to travel through that without getting you know knocked around <clears throat> now this comes because this this ability comes from integrating the, the embodied sense, which gives us a sense of stability, presence, and the emotional sense, which gives us the sense of, of reading and feeling and sensitizing to what's happening on, a, on, a, on an effective level, how we're being affected by, how we can balance ourselves, and then by assiduous or careful use of the cognitive sense of, well, wait a minute, you know, what's, what's the point here? What are we aiming for? Let's get clear about this, you know. So these three, body, heart, head, you might say, the three aspects of mind. And these are uh, faculties that we all have. Um, They're often imbalanced uh, or or very grossly imbalanced sometimes. So part of our retreat is just to generate the kind of massage, you might say, of mind that allows the the mind to, to, to access its full range of potential and come out of its, its imbalanced state. Mm. Uh, so this is uh, kind of what I, I am uh, practicing with myself and make as an offering. Mm. <clears throat>
So the first um, thing as we come into retreat, and I think you've all done retreats of some kind before, the sense of how do we uh, arrive or, or accomplish a skillful parking or closure or, or restraint, you might say. We've come from multitasking, a multidimensional experience. How do we actually come into a situation where we can gently and carefully put that to rest, you know, our outgoing activities, and look at what residues are here, get to the basics so that we have a chance to service our minds. We're coming off the road into the pits, you might say. Hopefully not. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't use the pits. So the, 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 uh, uh, another metaphor. Um, <laughs> services. <laughs> to be, uh, have the wheels taken off and then look at the bearings and put a bit of grease here and there and get it up to back on the road again. Yeah. So how do we actually come out of that? Uh, this, uh, you, you know, physically moving uh, from one place to another is part of it, but then really bringing the mind into it is we take full, at- full attention to uh, what we have here, this group. We have a monastery, uh, a place uh, dedicated to to this kind of work, this kind of process, spiritual practice. We have an ongoing tradition and lineage which we are checking in with every time we do the chanting. We're recollecting that movement of human beings, millions of people over thousands of years who have done practices such as in different forms, such as I'm suggesting today. So really picking that up. You know, um, this is all about people like you and I, uh, with the same kind of uh, problems and, and, and limitations and strengths. And, uh, uh, you know, and so this is the human aspect of this lineage. There's a teaching which is about that which is immediately directly accessible through skillful practices. It's not a um, you know, matter of belief or supposition or, or you know, esoteric technology. It's practicable. And there are uh, those who have realized it, and there's an enlightened being who, who laid some of this down for us. So this basic refuge in triple gem. And so really taking the time to, to recollect that. <clears throat> yeah. Skillful recollection. And this form encourages uh, a restraining or a gathering in of our faculties, uh, of what we think about. So we make a, uh, the, using the eight precepts as a way of, of collecting ourselves, obviously in a moral sense, and also in some renunciation. Renunciation is a bit of a cliffhanger kind of word, but... Um, that's the way language is. It means simplification. It means the ability to put aside what we don't really need right now. Uh, it's, it's not a moralizing thing. It's a sense of just unburdening oneself from you know, carrying more than one needs to carry. And also checking into those habits which get compulsive, which get conditioned into us, that somehow equate happiness with 
more, you know, adding more, doing more. And here we're recognizing there's innate happiness that comes when you clear away the doing more, the, the obsessive or the compulsive or the gratifying instinct. So just that, just having faith in that. Renunciation is very much <coughs> the a main theme of the Buddhist path. <clears throat> Without renunciation, there is no real... Um, no real clarification, no real clearing away to, to the essence of, of the mind. It gets too encumbered. So we're looking at this just to, you know, in terms of a clearing away to allow something more fundamentally sustaining to reveal itself. The Buddha only taught this path to eliminate our suffering. To, to to generate and to increase our well-being, not from some kind of puritanical aim or perversion, you know, but just to, to clear away so that we can reveal that which really sustains us. So renunciation and commitment. We have a seven-day period, uh, making a commitment, perhaps every day make a new make ongoing commitment. What are we here for? And uh, um, really trying to sustain that sense of of uh, the form that one can practice with. There may be times in this in this week or so when you, your energy runs out, or you then you know it's up to you to to, to look at your intentions. If you feel you, you know you need to let rest or or whatever, or you're not so well, that's up for you. it's up for you to make the commitments. It's your retreat. Um, Certainly, you know, I, the Sangha here, hold a particular form to encourage you to, to really check your intentions, to really try to, to rise up in a skillful way, but not to be intimidated by it. So we have made a commitment, a life commitment to this, and, uh, and we offer, you know, monks here offering just their presence as a sign of, you know, we're with this too. And uh, uh, just something some one can actually be inspired by, but not, don't be intimidated by it. If you, you know, just find out the measure at which you can, you can sustain the practice. Mm. Commitment. <clears throat> so we, I suggest that first of all we take the um, three refuges and the eight precepts in the formal way to begin the retreat.